0: You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa.
1: All right, welcome into Big Noon Sports. Let's go live to the Malmore Athletic Facility. Nick Saban is
2: at the podium. Obviously, has had a really good season. Uh, the players, you know, play hard to compete well. Rusty Wright has done, you know, a really good job there. I think they're like second in their league, seven and three, only lost two games in their league. So, uh, one of the most productive um, offensive uh, teams. they have got a good quarterback. They've got good receivers. Uh, they run the ball with good balance. They're really well coached. You know, defensively, this guy Jay Pearson is, you know, got lots of sacks and lots of tackles for losses, and these guys play hard. And um, like always, you know, this is a, a great opportunity for these guys to, to play, you know, in a game that they probably dream, dream about for our team uh, this is either a game that you focus on correctly you go out and practice and prepare correctly and you build on you know, the momentum uh, that you've improved with over the last weeks um, and that helps you get better for what's coming up in the future um, so if you don't do that you don't have a good showing. You sort of lose your rhythm. And, you know, rhythm is a little bit like momentum. You know, sometimes you lose momentum in the game. It's hard to get it back. So you got to always play the next play and keep answering the bell. And, you know, that's really kind of how we need to approach, you know, this game in terms of, you know, what our focus is and um, how we want to continue to improve as a team. Uh, if you're going to peak at the right time, you can't have peaks and valleys. You got to keep going in the right direction and, that's what we want to get our players to focus on this week in practice and preparation for this game.
0: Yeah, uh on mentioned that uh, every team could
2: use a, a Miss Terry and, and she's helped uh, with motivating and just saying uh, locked in. I mean, how does she help the team during the season in terms of uh, what she does to motivate players? Well, you know, her and Terry on are really kind of um, buddies. So um I, I know she sort of texts with him and all that, and um, you know I kind of get on him. So it's just like kind of raising your children, you know. I, I'm I'm the guy that's always trying to get them to do right, and she's the mama who's always trying to make them happy. So uh, that's, that's, that's the way it's been for a long time. <laughs> so, <laughs>
3: Hey, Coach. uh, A guy like Chris Braswell seemed to steadily improve over the course of his career. Where have you seen him grow the most since he got on campus?
2: Um, You know, Bras is a really good competitor, hard worker, uh, really works hard in practice to get it right. Um, I, I, I think a lot of guys that play outside backer for us, you know, when they come here, they don't have a lot of background and experience in standing up and playing. You know, a lot of them play with their hand in the dirt, you know, and high school so the whole idea of standing up and playing dropping some how do you rush off the edge you know when you're standing up rather than down in a three-point stance so and i I also think that opens up a whole panorama of knowledge of the game you know coverages and and things like that so uh, and i would say that brad has certainly improved physically because of how committed he is to being a good player but I think from a mental standpoint, that's where he's really sort of has a much, much better understanding of all the things you need to do to play that position. The
4: middle of Matt. After looking at the tape, what do you think of how your offensive line played against Kentucky?
2: Uh, they played really well. Um, you know, I think Kentucky's big up front. We talked about trying to be the most physical team. Uh, I think they did a good job of that. I think we ran the ball better in the second half than in the first. Um And some of that was just how were they planned. Uh, But I I was really pleased, especially in the second half, with how we controlled the line of scrimmage. I think for the most part, the pass protection was uh, a little better. um, And we want to continue to improve in all those areas. Hey, Coach, um, can you talk about the gauntlet of this uh, SEC schedule you guys are 7-0 up to this point and then kind of a follow-up how have you seen this team transform from week two up to this point in time yeah well um, you know we talked about a lot how this team has been able to um, show great resiliency and perseverance um, to you know really stick with it they want to be good uh, so they want to be coached uh, they've stayed focused on what we need to do to continue to get better and i think by doing that the confidence has built the respect and trust has built which helps confidence and i think um you know we got a lot of guys that are playing really good football now so and we had a lot of guys that really stepped up in this last game and played well like a receiver i mean we had two receivers out these guys played really really well i mean the receiver group uh, in fact, I think you probably got that. We took the whole group and said you guys are the players of the game. Um, you now, we had a couple guys that had to step up on defense with some starters missing. So, uh, But it just seems like whether it's been on special teams or however it's been, you know, every guy's kind of all in to trying to do what they can do to help the team. And uh, the leadership has been good. And the transformation has shown in terms of you know how we've been able to execute and play week in and week out
4: you mentioned on your radio show a couple weeks ago that Braswell is a good leader in his own quiet way uh, besides Chris who are a couple of guys who
2: lead well by example but maybe aren't necessarily vocal about it right uh, Tim Keenan's a, a good leader up front uh, I think uh, you know Devante Lawson is a really good leader at linebacker. Uh, Dallas is a good leader at outside backer. Malachi is a good leader, you know, in the secondary. Uh, so, you know, we have some guys at each position that, you know, set a pretty good example in terms of how you need to prepare for a game, how you need to try to practice, and you know, Braz is one of those guys as well. And he's on the leadership because of the example that he sets and how he goes about what he does.
0: On
2: the left. Oh, you're you're good. Okay,
0: uh, Tony, right there. Do you have
3: one? Uh, you didn't. did. Okay, I, Ryan, I thought they told me you had to. Coach, with Senior Day this week, wh-
2: what does it say in, in the world of the transfer portal and NIL, and especially a program like Alabama? If you don't play, maybe your freshman year, a lot of guys want to leave. I'm not just talking about your program, but a lot of programs. What does it say about like uh, Chris Braswell or Roy Dell that stuck through and
3: really built value for themselves for the next level?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of examples of guys that have done that probably in a lot of programs, but, you know, I'm just here to speak about our program. But, you know, a guy like Mac Jones, who didn't play until his fourth year and played very well when he did uh, and developed. Um, So I think it speaks volumes of their commitment to the program and seeing that if they do the right things, they're going to have success. Uh, We've had guys here that... You know, do very well in the pros, even though in the NFL, even though they've had maybe not a significant role their entire career here, but played well at some point in time. And that gave them an opportunity. Uh, I think that, you know, one of the big things that we try to get guys to understand is we have good players on our team. So you're going to have a better chance to develop because the competition in practice is actually going to be beneficial to your development. Uh, And I think that if guys can stay focused on long term in terms of uh, what they're trying to develop and improve. You know, we've had all these freshmen who want to play as freshmen. And we've had, I don't know, you can count them up. How many guys have gone out early for the draft? So if it's 45 guys, I don't know if that's the right number or not. Um, I've had 32 phone calls times 45, whatever that number is. And the thousands, right? I've never been asked once how much a guy played as a freshman. Never. Not once. Everybody wants to know what did you develop into. But yet, the whole mindset is, if I don't play right away, you know, but that expectation gets created by a lot of external factors too. Not to put any of the blame on you all. Or anybody that says a guy's a five star and he should make this immediate impact and all this stuff, so that becomes the expectation. So when it doesn't happen, guys frustrated. I get that. I understand that. You know, we got to try to get guys to uh, be able to stay focused on what they have to do to develop as players, make improvement, so that when they do play, they create value for themselves, rather than worrying about just playing. But if you go out there and you don't play well, what kind of value are you creating for yourself? And what kind of confidence are you building? So all these things are things that we really try to emphasize with our young players and uh, the guys that buy into that, they, they, they end up doing pretty well.
1: You competed against both Jimbo and, and Zach Arnett this year, as well as your reaction to the news um, of their firings. Uh, I, I, I'm, yeah, that-
3: States
0: coaching Texas A&M reaction
2: to those guys getting let go? Uh, you know, I, I don't ever like to see anybody get let go, whatever we want to call it in this business. I know how hard everybody works. Um, I know how difficult it is to, to sort of build, you know, a program um, to get players to compete uh, at a high level on a consistent basis and just have a lot of respect for people who um Really work hard to try to change the lives of, you know, the guys that they're coaching, make them better people, uh, help them do the right things in terms of getting an education as well as trying to develop them on the football field. But, you know, we are in a business that um, you get evaluated based on outcomes and your performance. And I hate to see anybody um, have to go through this. Uh, I've been fired before it's no fun it's no fun for your family uh, but i'm sure that both those guys have great reputations in terms of what they've been able to accomplish over the the course of their career and i'm sure they'll have many more opportunities to be successful in the future Thanks, Governor. All right, thank you
4: his monday morning news conference and he is um, away from the podium and he's getting ready to coach him, coach him up for utc Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Big Noon Sports. We'll be back. Talk about, well, Jimbo Fisher, Alabama. A lot on our plate here at lunch today.
1: build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker who's as roll tied as houndstooth will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com.
0: Tide 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather very pleasant afternoon partly to mostly sunny the high at 70 tonight increasingly cloudy below 49 mostly cloudy tomorrow the better chance of rain will be south of here the high 65 Wednesday cloudy and cool periods of rain the high 59 I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9 it's 67 degrees in Tuscaloosa
3: this is the Big Noon Sports Network.
4: Hey, it's Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Noah is at the controls. We appreciate you folks dialing us in as we, uh, we'll talk about what Nick Saban just communicated to us. Also, Alabama's Saturday victory over Kentucky, pretty convincing if you ask me, 49-21. to 21. The roll up fantastic again as Alabama just continues to get better every week. And then you got Jimbo Fisher getting fired yesterday, Zach Arnett is gone, and... Um, Andy Avalos out at Boise is gone as well. But first, let's just recap Saturday afternoon as um, Alabama looked pretty darn good beating Kentucky
1: 49-21. Yeah, Jalen Milroe just played, uh, I think, his best game of the season and really just showed how much he has progressed uh, just in the last two weeks. I mean, if you total his uh, his combined efforts against LSU and Kentucky – He's accounted for 644 yards of offense, 10 touchdowns, including six in, in Saturday's route of Kentucky. Uh, and that tied for the, the second most in Crimson Tide history, uh, which is pretty amazing. And, you know, he is, uh, he's getting better protection up front. The line, which entered the game surrendering a uh, league high 37 sacks didn't give up a single sack the whole the the entire game uh first time that's happened all season and uh this is a team that's that's peaking Matt and uh I mean they're they're firing on all cylinders and this is a good Kentucky team and you got to remember there there's a reason that the line was at like you know 11 11 half 10 somewhere in there uh you know people thought that this was going to be uh, you know, basically a, a a two possession game, and Alabama just came out and and played lights out. And again, it it all started with Jalen, and uh, you know he's just he's showing improved accuracy. Um, you know, it, it looked like uh, he he suffered a, a a leg injury early, but that didn't seem to affect him. And he's just, he's getting better and better. He started the past seven games for Alabama, uh, won all seven. And, uh, and now, uh, looking toward the Iron Bowl, um, Auburn, you could argue is, is, uh, is also one of the most improved teams in the country from the beginning of the year based on what they did on Saturday. Um, and hey, it's uh, the 10 year anniversary of the kick six. So uh
3: Thanks we'll see what happens. Yeah,
1: we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But this is just—it's been a remarkable story of Alabama's season, going from what I really thought was the low point of the entire Nick Saban era, and that wasn't the loss against Texas. That was the performance against South Florida. From that point to where they are now is absolutely remarkable. And that has a lot of people, uh, a lot of national writers, national commentators saying that this is perhaps Nick Saban's best coaching performance of his career and and should Nick Saban be considered for coach of the year, uh, which is, again, a, a, a stunning development for a man who just turned 72 years old. But, you know, he never stopped believing in this team not that you're ever going to find a coach that says ah i I don't believe in my team anymore but nick saban just said hey you know just we're just going to keep doing what we're doing we're going to keep grinding we're going to keep uh focusing on the process the process the process and the thing is he he has so much experience with his with implementing his coaching philosophy with his kids and he sees them improve, and he sees you know what's going on in practice, and he knows how to make the the right adjustments. And and I think figuring out against South Florida that Jalen Milrow needs to be on the field. All right, that was decision number one, and that that changed everything. And um, it really has been, um, I think, for Nick Saban, I think he's enjoying it so much because he has seen the effects of his coaching of not just him but his entire staff because of how much these kids have improved matt
4: they uh, the improvements are in all areas Now, certainly the most noticed because it's the most noted player on the field has been with milro but i think a lot of that falls back on tommy reese and a development of an offense and uh espn did a nice job of showing a zone area downfield where his receivers would be crossing in and out of to where Milroe wasn't having to be he didn't have to have his head on a swivel uh, he could kind of check his reads in order as he looked upfield which is to me first of all nice job ESPN but that's a brilliant move to uh, help out a guy that's struggling to check from 2 to 3 that works but I continue to be amazed and a lot is being written about and I'm not amazed. I just continue to be impressed with the, uh, the overall improvement of Terry on Arnold. I mean, another pick, a forced fumble. Uh, I think he was second behind Caleb Downs in tackles. And he does a lot of credit, and so does Saban, to Miss Terry and their texts on Sunday afternoon. Which, by the way, going back to the news conference, Nick Saban cracked himself up. And, and laughed visibly until, you know, no, he, he, he laughed out loud, a couple for a second or two, and then finally. Another reporter asked a question. So it's all good for Alabama. And you know, we'll see moving forward. I know you just don't overlook a team like University of Tennessee Chattanooga. But it's hard not to just go on down the road and think about what's going to happen at Auburn. Uh, by the way, I just got a text here a moment ago. I've been released nationally that the Alabama-Auburn game at Auburn will kick off at 2.30. So that's a that's a pretty good time i like these it's early same,
1: kicks, same so time as the
4: like. kick six i believe well if you, if you keep bringing that up we're gonna lose <laughs> listeners <laughs> oh hey we didn't get to much to jimbo fisher we're gonna talk to um jeff spiegel of abc 3340 on the other side of the break about that alabama auburn all things football here on big news sports
3: SEC sports like zoo on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Really
4: pretty Monday afternoon. Matt Lars, Noah, bringing you the show. And we heard from Nick Saban. Now we're going to hear from um, ABC 3340's Jeff Jeff Spiegel as uh, we talk about all things good grief Uh, you want me to just deal cards and flip one up and see what we talk about first Uh, we can keep you for an hour and a half here all right i'm going to do it chronologically dating back let's talk first of all just your thoughts on the way alabama played at lexington
5: well i mean i thought they went out there and took care of business i thought it was uh, just a very you know a very solid performance i think Jalen milrow has looked better and better each week, uh, his sideline demeanor, the way he's leading this team, uh, you know, the, the way he's played. I mean, you know, using the arm and the legs and accounting for six total touchdowns. I mean, every week this guy does something that just further convinces you that, uh, you know, this guy's not only, you know, a, a great quarterback for the University of Alabama. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I mean, this guy's leaped up the charts in terms of Heisman odds. I mean, now we're looking at a guy who could get a trip to New York, you know, if things continue to uh, to play out the way it's been playing.
1: Um, uh, Matt, did you hear that trip to New York? Um, that's an inside joke. Um, no, it's been on air. it's I, I yeah, up to it. It's, a, it's an on-air air joke. Know, of, uh, a
4: week ago, Lars was bringing up this this Heisman possibility, and I and I chuckled. Um, but then these polls come out, and he's tenth, and then he plays like a, another Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, this past Saturday and I wouldn't be surprised if Vegas had him at like 7 or 8 but anyway, Lars continue
1: I fall on that as I justly should Okay, so I don't mean to be a a Debbie Downer here but um, why is it do you think that uh, the Alabama coaching staff didn't put their full faith in Jalen Milroe at the beginning of the season? Is it just that he's improved that much, or that they promised both uh, Simpson and Buckner a chance to play?
5: Well, here's the story that I heard earlier in the year: is that you know Nick Saban's intention was to give all these guys an opportunity to show what they could do, you know, in the games. And Jalen Milroe had not taken hold of the quarterback position, you know, like they hoped that he would, you know, during preseason camp. And so, you know, they wanted to put Butner and Simpson out there and give them an opportunity in the South Florida game, knowing that they could win that game. Uh, you know, there, therefore, therefore they did, they did do that and they kind of won it ugly. But I also heard at the time, And I don't know how much credence you put into this. I'll put a lot of credence into it at the time. You know, that Milrow was, you know, not very happy, you know, with that decision. And that, uh, you know, that created some friction, you know, between him and the coaching staff. Now, you know, having seen how things have transpired, you know, I, I don't know if I believe that story anymore or not, or maybe that makes it more believable. Because his attitude maybe took a, a 180, you know, and went in the positive direction. Because he was very, you know, he, he acted like a leader on the sidelines during that South Florida game, knowing that he wasn't going to play. And uh, he was very encouraging, you know, to, to Simpson and Butner. And then from that point on, you know, once he got his opportunity to start, I mean, he's taken full advantage of it and just kept the accelerator, you know, to the floor.
4: All that being said, golly, I hate to bring this up, but I need to. Is Alabama in trouble if they have to go to a backup?
5: Well, I don't know. I mean, I thought Ty Simpson was pretty solid, you know, when he came in uh, against Kentucky. You know, he led that touchdown drive. You know, he hasn't had many opportunities, but I thought the guy looked pretty good. Now It was a Kentucky team that was defeated. You know, they were deflated by that point. Uh, But, you know, he he had some good throws. He had a really good run for a first down, you know, down there inside the five. And uh I, I thought he looked good. Now, obviously, there's going to be a drop-off, you know, when you go from, you know, Mill Road to your backup. I mean, they're supposed to be. That's why the backup is the backup. But But I think Ty Simpson could handle himself, you know, pretty well if it came down to a situation where he had to be thrust into action.
1: Alabama's offensive line entered the game, uh, surrendering a SEC high 37 sacks, uh, gave up zero against Kentucky. Um, And there were many times this year uh, when Matt and I were talking about, hey, who's the key player of this game going to be? And I would mention Caden Proctor, um, just because we knew how much talent he had coming out of a, a high school in Iowa, but uh, you know he he struggled early on, but now you're seeing the offensive line really progress. What 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 do you think has just been the key? And and what did you see on Saturday from the offensive line?
5: Well, I thought they played great. I mean, I thought as the game went on, they just got better and better. They, you know, they just kind of leaned on Kentucky and imposed their will, you know, against the Wildcats and and uh, and came Proctor's come on. And, and and again, here's another situation where. You know what? The coaches know a lot, know a lot more than, than the media does and the fans do. Because the most beat up person on this football team this year has been Caden Proctor. I mean, uh, the media has been relentless. The fans have been relentless in terms of just, you know, attacking this guy's play. And, you know, and, and he, he did. I mean, he struggled. He struggled early, you know, but he was a freshman, you know, trying to learn you know, this offensive line position, but he has gotten better and better and better because, you know, Saban and the coaches kind of stayed the course with this guy and, you know, knew that the only way he was really going to learn, you know, was through this on-the-job training, but but the guy has, has gotten better as the year has gone on, which is, you know, what the coaches hoped, and it, and it certainly has come to fruition
1: i mean his mental fortitude for an 18 year old has been really impressive don't you think
5: oh my goodness yeah i mean look it's it, no no one likes to be you know have their reputation you know run down in whatever they do you know whether it's whether it's you know it's what we do whether it's what you know and anybody does when it comes to to doing their job and And Alabama football, if you're an Alabama football player, if you're a quarterback, you know, you're going to get a lot of criticism. But if you're a left tackle, I mean, you are going to just get ridiculously criticized, you know, because you're so visible out there. There's nowhere to hide. I mean, if someone gets sacked, you know, if Melrose gets sacked from the blind side, the first person they're going to look for is number 74, And so he's just been relentlessly criticized for his play. And um, it's just really good to see that he's he's come around and he's playing better.
4: I'll tell you, somebody else that deserves some credit, too, is Jaden Roberts, the way he has stepped in there. And, man, does he play it in totally... 110 percent level but i thought i would just throw that in there break some things down defensively we've been uh we've been throwing the laurels of terry on arnold him and others on the defensive side of the football and and a huge mention to kevin Steele because he's coaching them up now too
5: well that was a terrific pick you know that arnold made against kentucky and and i and i thought that um kevin Steele has you know, put his stamp on this defense. I mean, the one thing that we were sold when Kevin Steele was in, the defensive coordinator, was that this defense was going to get its edge back. You know, it was going to get the physicality back. And, man, they were passing some licks in that Kentucky game. And, uh, I mean, Devin Leary is spending, you know, a lot of time in the treatment room, you know, today and then tomorrow getting over the punishment that he took. And obviously, you know, you had the, the hit that Turner put on Daniels, which, you know, didn't so much change the course of the game. I mean, they were down by 14 at that point. LSU, I mean, Alabama's defense had already taken control of that game in the second half. But, you know, in that Tennessee and LSU game, you know, to give up seven points in the second half, You know, combined to both of those teams, you know, certainly made a statement. And, um, and I I just think they've played terrific all year. I thought at the midpoint of the year, they were playing at a national championship level and, and they really just haven't let up.
1: Many national writers and national commentators are saying that this is perhaps Nick Saban's finest coaching effort of his career at age 72. Uh, do you uh, do you buy that? And if so, why?
5: Well, I would totally agree with it because you know there there, there were opportunities early in the year, you know, when uh, when people thought this team was toast. You know, after they lose at home to Texas, I mean, Alabama never loses at home. You know, and they lose at home to Texas, and then in South Florida, you know, they struggle because you know they were trying to figure out the the quarterback thing. And then, you know, gosh, I mean, you know, people wanted to fire Tommy Reese. You know, after the South Florida game, and you know, and and the head coach has got to stand in there and kind of take all that stuff and just deflect all that stuff and protect his guys. Who he knows are doing a good job because he's with them in the football facility day in and day out and he knows how hard they're working and he knows the plans they're putting together and so yeah I mean I think this guy has just done a great job of, of leading the program we've discussed you know several times you know how many more years this guy's got left in the tank he's got a lot left in the tank and yeah this is one of the best jobs he's done
4: well, I said to my broadcast mates Saturday afternoon, I said, this team play anybody in the country. I don't, You Bring on Oregon, bring on Georgia. Alabama's going to hang with them, if not beat them. Jeff Spiegel from ABC 3340 is our guest. We'll continue with him as we, we need to talk a little bit about what happened at Texas A&M over the weekend. And I've never heard this happening before. Maybe you guys can enlighten me. This is Big Noon Sports.
0: It's time to spring. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Very pleasant afternoon, partly to mostly sunny, the high at 70. Tonight, increasingly cloudy, below 49. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, the better chance of rain will be south of here, the high 65. Wednesday, cloudy and cool periods of rain, the high 59. I'm James Spam on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 67 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
3: The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports.
4: It is, and our guest Jeff Spiegel from ABC 3340. Guys, Sunday, uh, we all get our Twitter feeds going, and next thing you know, Jimbo Fisher has been fired. Um, That surprised me. I don't know about y'all, but it struck me because I don't ever remember a coach being fired after a 51-10 to 10 victory. And I don't remember a coach also being fired on the other sideline. Have y'all ever seen a game where both coaches lost their job after the game? This is just crazy. We will get into the buyout uh, a little bit later. But your thoughts, first of all, on Jimbo Fisher getting his wings clipped there at College Station.
5: Well, how does it feel if you're a Mississippi State football fan? I mean, that just kind of goes to show you how much a victory over Mississippi State means nowadays, right? I mean, <laughs> you, 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 you thump them, and then, you know, you get fired. You know, the same thing happened to Gus, you know, after the 2020 season. He beat State, and then he gets fired the next day. So, yeah, I mean, it didn't surprise me. Uh, to me, the clock's been ticking on Jimbo Fisher ever since this public feud he had with Nick Saban. You know, because, cause buddy, if you're going to call out the best college football coach, you know, ever, you know, then you, you you better follow it up with, you know, stepping on the gas and and just driving your way to the front of the SEC West and, and getting them in some SEC championship games. And he did. You know, they, they just kind of plodded along and, and, the, and these are the athletic director's words, not mine. I mean, stuck in neutral. I mean, that that's kind of where they've been. You haven't really gone anywhere. And so, you know, that they, they had to make a move. You know, it wasn't going to get any better. Hiring Bobby Petrino, obviously, you know, was not the answer. It didn't blow up like I thought it would five weeks into the year. But, but you know, it didn't work. So, you know, they, they just, they're swallowing, you know, $76.8 million in buyout money. And not only that, but, you know, they got to spend about $80 million to get another coach. they got to pay his staff. This is, this is going to wind up being like a $225 million mistake, you know, that Texas A&M made.
1: Yeah, and uh, I, I, the, I think the timing of it has to do with this new era of college football that we're in, and that is the, the transfer portal. Uh, opens the Monday after the FBS conference championship games. And so I think A&M is thinking, uh, smartly, hey, if we're gonna get, if we know we're gonna move on, we should move on now, uh, and try to figure out what the plan is moving forward and then uh, give the new coach, uh, presumably you have him in place at least a couple weeks before that window opens, so he is able to re-recruit all the guys that are thinking about going into the transfer portal. I mean, I, and I think that's the exact reason why Mississippi State fired Arnett is because uh, the, 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 the athletic directors are – Again, they're trying to navigate this new world uh, of the, of the transfer portal. And, um, to me, it, it made sense for, uh, Bjork, who I really respect. I think he's a great AD, uh, just to finally, uh, uh cut bait. But, uh, again, it, it, Jeff, uh, do you agree with my assessment here? And, oh. and it, it, it does seem odd to fire a coach after a big win, but, <laughs> I think I, I honestly I, I think he's just being practical and prudent.
5: Yeah, I mean you're dead on. I, I think uh, you know the days of waiting till the year's over, you know, to decide what you're going to do are long gone. I mean, uh, you know that. I mean you're right. The, 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 this process has have, has been accelerated, and and um, I I don't know. I I thought several weeks ago that that uh, you know. Jimbo Fisher was, you know, kinda on his last legs and because, you know, like we said, the program just, you know, wasn't making any progress and wasn't really going anywhere. And and so, uh, like I don't know I, I feel like Texas A and M. When you make a move like that also, I mean you have a guy in mind who you're gonna get. And most people think it's gonna be uh it's gonna be Elko at Duke and and that will probably be a good choice. He's done a good job with the Blue Devils and He's coached today and m before, so uh, they, they've got a great idea. When you make a move like that, you're going to act quickly. And I, and I think the wheels were in motion before this official announcement was made, for sure.
4: You know, uh, I understand the timing of these announcements, but I still don't like it. I don't even like it when the coach resigns on his own like uh, Spurrier did a few years ago. It's Just to me, it's a bad look for the entire sport. But the sport has made this an issue, and now the teams are, you know, they're going to fire in the coaches with the three or four games left in the season. Again, my little statement there is still troubling to me. What about? Uh, I've been hearing other names in addition to Elko, Lanning, Meyer. Uh, that's. Is, uh, is Irvin Meyer ever going to coach again? Tomorrow. And uh, that would be a wicked fit.
5: Yeah. No. No. No, he's he's never going to coach again, and nor should he. Nor should any uh, university hire this guy. Uh, I think Lanning is uh, perfectly fine in Oregon. I think he's really building something special out there. I don't think you know he wants to. Uh, he wants to come back, you know, into the SEC. So I don't. I don't think that's an option. Uh, like I said, I I think it's probably going to be. Uh, it's probably going to be you know, making the move from Duke over there, and that, that's that's probably the best choice. And I, I, to me, I mean, that's kind of already been decided. I'm kind of looking at the Mississippi State job. I'm very intrigued by who's going to step into that. And uh, one of the first names that I saw come up was Dan Mullen. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you can ever go home again, as they say, whether that's going to work when he goes back. Uh, to state, but I'm just I'm very intrigued as to as to who they're going to hire over in Starkville as well, and there are there are a lot of guys who who could uh, who are ready to step up to that next level. And another guy I saw on that list was Rhett Lashley, you know, who's doing a pretty good job at SMU, and so uh, I'm I'm very interested to see who gets that job.
1: I think you're spot on about Elko, and I I think there's already been uh, you know kind of a. A handshake deal uh in in uh, but in uh, yeah i i just think jeff you're a hundred percent right um isn't it pretty remarkable? Go back to the spring of twenty twenty two and that was when Jimbo and Nick. We're having this verbal sparring going back and forth, back and forth. And uh, uh, two people who we know very well got a massive book deal <laughs> out of uh, <laughs> Nick Saban versus Jimbo Fisher. And this is going to be the league's big new rivalry. And Jimbo, alas, didn't even last two seasons after that public feud with uh, the great one Nick Saban, Jeff.
5: Yeah, I mean his his only his really only moment. I think I think Jim Jimbo has had two incredible moments in his career. He's had the national championship win at Florida State when you know Jameis Winston and we 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 use this cliche over and over again, but I don't know. I mean uh, generational talent at quarterback, um, and he he was just he was a special player. It was also a a handful you know to coach and to manage yeah <laughs> yeah a knucklehead and and, and here, here's where i fell out of love with jimbo fisher about how he handled all that stuff he let he let Jameis run the team and and that's where i kind of where jimbo lost me you know so it didn't surprise me that while he went to texas a m and he had his one shining moment, to borrow a phrase from the NCAA basketball tournament, the walk-off win over Alabama. That was it. That was it. I mean, there's been nothing else, you know, that he can really hang his hat on, uh, except for the nine in one year during the pandemic. And um, you know, that's it.
4: Our guest, ABC 3340s, Jeff Spiegel. John, you know, just. Give us a quick touch on Auburn. They seem to be improving uh, just since the last couple of three games. They've won three in a row now, haven't
5: they? They have, yeah. And, you know, to hear Hugh Freeze tell it, it's all about him coming in and kind of pounding his fist on the desk and saying, you know, this is what we're going to do with the offense. How he's kind of stepped in and and helped Philip Montgomery, you know, call the plays and, and uh, you know, bingo. You know, they've, they've won three games in a row. And look, you can talk about you know how they beat up on the worst teams in the league all you want, but but they're looking better. They're gaining confidence. I think the defense has played pretty doggone well, you know, for for most of the year. You know, uh, McLeod is just a terror back there in terms of an edge rusher, and, and they're just they're doing a lot of really cool things. And look, when you get to the Iron Bowl and that thing's been played, with Jordan Hair, holy smokes! I mean, buckle up because that game, that game kicked it pretty crazy in Durden here.
4: Yeah, like ten years ago. We'll go into that next week, Jeff. As always, tell everybody what you're doing this week. They can watch you tonight, or I guess Tuesday, Monday's your day off, I think. But anyway, what's going on at 33:40?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were looking to the uh, second round of the playoffs on Friday, and then. Another big college football weekend, and then the zone Sunday night at 1035. Appreciate you guys, and have a great day. You
1: You too. Thank you, Jeff. Great stuff. As
4: always, he is a go-to guy. You're listening to Big Noon Sports back with uh, Cole Thompson is going to join us from Texas, and he'll talk about the A&M deal with Jimbo Fisher out. You're listening to Big Noon Sports.
1: Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number
0: 230376. WTBC Tuscaloosa and W265CG Tuscaloosa, a Town Square media station. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. From the Fox Sports Studios in Los Angeles. Here's Nick Cope.
1: Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh spoke about his program today for the first time since his suspension. It's gotta be America's team.
2: It's gotta be America's team. America America loves a team that that uh, you know beats the odds, beats the adversity, you know, overcomes what the naysayers and you know, critics, so called experts think. That's my favorite kind of team.
1: Harbaugh didn't comment on his situation but did say he'll be speaking at Friday's hearing. In the NBA, ESPN reports Nuggets head coach Michael Malone has agreed to a contract extension. No details on the terms have been disclosed yet, but the report says Malone will become one of the league's highest-paid coaches. In the NFL, ESPN reports there aren't any issues with Buccaneers quarterback Baker Mayfield's thumb. He's set to practice this week and be ready for Sunday's game against the 49ers. And the Dolphins designated running back
3: Devon H. Return from injured reserve. From T town to the plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
4: America's team. Man, that guy Harvold. What a piece of work. Welcome back to the Big Noon Sports, Matt Lars, Noah. Of course, Alabama beat Kentucky soundly, forty-nine to twenty-one. Auburn with a big win over Arkansas, forty-eight to ten, and then Texas A&M beat the doors off Michigan Mississippi State, fifty-one to ten, and then both coaches got fired. So we have a lot of different directions that we can turn here. At one fifteen, we'll go to Texas to talk to Cole Thompson about the Aggies' former head coach. Well, what went wrong? Mars, let's start there with just us because we haven't had a chance to talk to talk about it in detail.
1: What did go wrong? You know, uh, he he just never was able to transform the uh, um, or or get the recruits that he got to play to their potential, right? And it, it just goes back to to coaching and um and for whatever reason they just couldn't get texas a&m over the hump and uh and and to be uh an elite team year in and year out now there was that one year that uh a&m finished uh i think number five five in the uh and there were just there were one slot away from getting into the uh college football playoffs but You you look at uh, the recruiting success that Jimbo has had. Um, His first full recruiting class was in 2019. And since then, A&M has signed 70 of ESPN's 300 top players each year. And that's the fourth most in the FBS behind Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. And all three of those teams have each played in at least one national championship over that span. Uh, and also the Aggies uh, um, were ranked, uh, their recruiting class in 2022 was ranked number one overall. And and Ross Bjork, uh, you know, late last night just said, you know, something's not clicking in here um, to provide confidence in the program. You have to adapt. You have to evolve. I'm not going to say whether he did or he didn't, but it didn't work. Well, clearly he's saying that he didn't evolve. Um, and, uh, you know, now his tenure at uh, A&M ends with a 45 and 25 record, uh No appearances in the SEC championship game. And uh, when, you, when you meet, or, or I'm sorry, when you get a contract as a as absolutely ginormous as he got the expectations are as equally high and he just was nibble never able to to meet them um and uh in uh in Bjork the athletic director um he met with uh, Jimbo on Sunday morning at Kyle Field just before 9 and apparently it was a very brief meeting and just told them that they're making an, a, an immediate change and said, uh, Ross, uh, characterized or, or Bjork uh, character, characterized the conversation as cordial. Um, and, uh, um, yeah. And, but the thing is they, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the board of regents met Thursday. Uh, and most of the four hour meeting was discussing Jimbo's future. And, uh, and, and Bjork characterized the conversation as robust. Um, but then, you know, he said, Hey, uh, this, this was my decision, uh, to the president and, uh, uh to the, to, uh, the president and the chancellor there, uh, John Sharp. And, and they decided that they were gonna move on. But, um, you know, and now it's going to cost the school more than 76 million to buy out his contract. Um, and that is nearly triple the highest known previous coaching buyout at a public university. Um, and, uh, according to the contract, Jimbo is owed 19.2 million within 60 days, right? So he gets 19.2 within 60 days. And then annually, Matt, Annually, and this was to fail, he gets 7.2 million through 2031. There's no offset to those or or mitigation on those payments. And, uh, yeah, and the first payment starts, uh, like I said, 120 days after the annual payments start 120 days after termination. So he'll get 19.2 within two months. And then within, uh, four months, the 7.2 million kicks in per year through 2031. Yep, even the math works out there.
4: Jimbo was 45-25 overall in his 10-year with the Aggies. He was 27 and 21 in league play. Now that one's pretty telling. You were talking about the year they finished fifth. They did in the uh, college football like playoff rankings for that year's 2020, though. So that was a COVID year, right? They went to the Orange Ball, won So they had their highest finish under Fisher at Texas A&M, where they finished fourth. But and I could go on and on about his failings. He never won the West. He finished second a couple times. Then he finished third, fourth, and sixth. No him where he's going to drop this year, but it's middle of the pack or lower. So he didn't do his job. And I think the statement is that we're stuck in neutral. is pretty apropos. So no, will he coach again? I don't Lars, I I guess I'm just um, maybe too materialistic. But if I was going to get, first of all, I've been paid how much? $20, 30000000 um, You know, I probably got that socked away in the ranch. But... 19 million, then 7 million a year for 8 years. I don't know
1: if I'm just going to ride off into the sunset. <laughs> uh, I think, I think he will coach again. Um, I believe you have. Somewhat of a personal relationship with Jimbo, and I've. uh, I I remember
4: when he was a quarterback at Sanford.
1: Yeah, well, I've had some personal interaction with him over the years, and I've always liked him. Uh, He's sort of different in person than he is when he's in front of the camera. Uh, He certainly has made some mistakes. Um, you know, engaging Nick Saban in a in a war of words is never a good idea. But uh just your your personal um just your personal uh feelings about Jimbo.
4: Well, I, I liked him when he was at Sanford. Uh by the way, he was a heck of a lower division college quarterback. I mean, had he been a little bit higher, I don't know, a little bit taller, whatever, but he has a, an all-shucks appeal to him, but I think it's more obvious when you're around him in person that he he really is kind of a country guy, even though what, he's from West Virginia, same uh, same state as Nick Saban. So I uh, I probably wouldn't coach again, but these guys have a different level and, in which they live. So he will uh, probably coach again. As to where, I don't know. But it appears to me there's going to be a lot
1: of places... That need coaches. <laughs> Jimmy Sexton, once again, the big winner. What an agent! No, uh, yeah, no kidding. No. I mean, he gets he gets what three uh, percent? I think three percent uh, <laughs> of same, that. Uh...
4: Same as a real estate agent. Is
5: that
1: right?
4: <laughs> I don't. Hey, we'll be back with uh, Cole Thompson's going to talk about the Aggies when we return on Big News Sport.
0: 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. Very pleasant afternoon, partly to mostly sunny, the high at 70. Tonight increasingly cloudy below 49. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, the better chance of rain will be south of here, the high 65. Wednesday cloudy and cool periods of rain, the high 59. I'm James Spam on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on tide 100.9. It's 67 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town
3: to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
4: Hey, you just heard it from James Van. It is an absolutely gorgeous day. Near 70 and sunny. Um, Got some rain over the weekend. It was kind of a dreary weekend, but uh, nonetheless, we needed it. It's Lawrence, Matt, and Noah with you on this Monday afternoon. We're talking about, uh, gee, what a weekend. I mean, Alabama convincing victory over Kentucky. Then we got the news Sunday morning about Jimbo Fisher. And then you just heard Jim Harbaugh a minute ago proclaim that the Wolverines should be America's team. So, with that in mind, Cole Thompson, I'll start with what's happening in your area. That's the dismissal of Jimbo Fisher. This didn't seem to take anybody by real surprise. Did it you?
6: Hey, guys. Um, Yes and no. Uh, I would say that that's probably the best way you put it because not many coaches find a way to win convincingly by 41 points against a coach who was later fired on Monday morning in Zach Arnett, and then be shown the door less than 12 hours later. So according to my people that I spoke to yesterday, Fisher got a phone call uh, after the game. He was pulled aside by athletic director Ross Bjork saying that they were going to meet the next morning that morning around 9 a.m., Fisher walked into Kyle Field. He had a conversation that was considered quick and cordial and told he was no longer going to be the head coach at Texas A&M. They are trying to move fast on finding their next head coach. And there are, of course, stipulations of what Lost York, the athletic director, is looking for. But the main thing that he said yesterday was, this is a program that's stuck in neutral. This is a team that should be fighting for conference championships and – national championships with the abundance of resources found in college station and unfortunately if you're not moving forward you're stuck and this was a move to where you look back over the last six years of jimbo fisher's tenure wasn't negative but certainly was nowhere near what the ultimate end goal was especially when giving out a contract to a man who was supposed to be your savior nine million dollars which was at the time of his firing the sixth largest in college football and annual salary there is just a lot of questions of this program and this regime. why were these moves not made what changed with this situation why not go out and add in a office coordinator and change up your persona and concept a few years prior and ultimately this factored into several major losses along the way including two to Alabama, one in Bryant-Denny Stadium, and then one earlier this season, 26-20 final score, Fisher actually said right in his final press conference that A&M was three to four plays away from being a college football playoff contender. And to be completely frank, he's not wrong. But the problem is this isn't three or four plays away in 2023. This is three or four plays away in 2022 and 2021 and 2019 and 2018 and 2023 so it's five years of similar mistakes being made now the program gets to wash itself clean elijah robinson who has been on staff since 2018 will take over as the interim coach both bobby petrino and dj durkin will stay on staff for the remainder of the year uh, a lot of positivity around the program when it comes to who is running the show for the next few games, including the bowl game. But this is, again, a financial disaster that is ultimately going to come back and bite Texas A&M right in the keister.
1: Do you think the timing of this was accelerated because of the transfer portal window reopening up on December 4th and a big part of new coach's job uh, presumably he'll be hired before then will be to re-recruit the guys who are already there because as we know Texas A&M and under Jimbo has done a great job of putting together uh, stacking one great recruiting class after the next and so uh, to prevent a mass exodus don't you think uh, it is uh, prudent of Bjork to get a coach in place well before that December 4th deadline?
6: Yeah, that was part of it, Lars. The other part was also they want to make sure that they were able to keep recruits that were signed to their top 10 2024 recruiting class. That's another big deal because early signing period is on December 20th, and this allows players now to reassess and reevaluate what they're looking for in a program and who they follow as a leader. So those are definite factors ross Burke also said that the arrival of oklahoma and texas is another dividend with this because not only are you going to see a cosmic shift when it comes to change in the, in the in the forms of who runs what but also these are now components and elements that are going to be playing against you when it comes to recruiting assets i mean i mean lars let's just be real for a second well, when it comes to the sec The brand name SEC alone lands several recruits just based off of the recognition and the spotlight and the ambiance. And that's been something that Texas has been able to hold over Oklahoma's head and Texas's head for a very long time. But now that they don't have that at their disposal, this is all about winning on the recruiting trail. And it's all about winning these people's players involved in the staff. I've already talked to some players. They, they've made it abundantly clear that this is their final season at Texas A&M. The portal is going to open wide. Uh, but what's crazy is the same thing was said about Washington's Kalen DeBoer. Uh, there were three receivers, two of which are going to be first-round or second-round picks in Roma Dunsay and Jalen McMillan, who had entered the transfer portal after Jimmy Lake was fired. He was able to convince them to stay, buy into what he was selling underneath new OC Ryan Grubb. And look at the Huskies now. They're 10-0. and They have a very good shot of being a college football playoff team, and they've got a Heisman Trophy quarterback worthy of, you know, honoration that's probably going to be a first-round pick too. So the move was definitely to keep as many players on staff as possible, but it was also to get ahead of the curve and let people know, listen, Jimbo, we appreciate what he's done, but this is now a borderline bloodbath when you look at the recruiting assets that are coming this way. We need to be able to develop talent as much as we can recruit it.
4: All right, who's next?
6: That is the million-dollar question. I think a lot of people are trying to figure out right now, guys. Um, I will say the name Dan Lanning continues to pop up, even in circles that I'm close with, and for very good reason. The guy is a disciple of Nick Saban, and he is a disciple of Kirby Smart. He understands the SEC. Uh, he's got a great recruiting background defensively. I mean, I'm going to say this just real fast. Lars, when you look at... Oregon team they are basically a Frankenstein monster they got offensive linemen and defensive linemen that were meant to play in the Big Ten they got running backs and linebackers that are supposed to be superstars in the SEC and they got weapons on weapons that are all found throughout the Pac-12 and the ECC like they just basically took every conference and said here let's throw it on Eugene and get them a lot of Nike money and figure it out like that's what they have,
1: have you used what? that metaphor in print or-
6: Have I? Yeah, of course I have.
1: All right, good job. Of
6: course I have. brought on my own show before. No, they're a Frankenstein monster of madness that is absolutely phenomenal. And part of the thing is is that they're fighting for a college football playoff berth. The crazy part is therein lies the problem. If you're trying to get ahead and land your next head coach, not only was Phil Knight smart enough this time around to put an amendment in the contract that now costs a $20 million buyout, But also, Lanning has to leave his team in the midst of potentially fighting for a national championship with a Heisman Trophy quarterback that I don't think a lot of people ever thought was going to come true in Bo Vicks, with a quality offensive staff that is absolutely trending in the right direction. But he also is an SEC guy. He's been around the block forever. He understands that this is what works. and. A&M just fired a coach for $76 million, and they're going to pay $150 million to get rid of an entire coaching staff. They're, they're not afraid to spend money, so that's not the problem. Uh, Mike Algalet-Duke is going to be a name that gets mentioned a lot because of his recruiting prowess in the SEC, his dominance as a defensive-minded coach, and also his relationship with the university during his time uh, as a defense coordinator for four years. A wild card name that would make a lot of sense and one that I'm actually really pulling for just from a fan perspective or from a national perspective, Jonathan Smith at Oregon State does not get enough respect at the national limelight. This is a guy who won a uh, Cotton Bowl and brought Oregon State to a number five ranking underneath uh, one of the legendary coaches back in the day in Dennis Erickson. He then took over a program that watched its coach resign in Gary Anderson and he now has the Beavers potentially playing for a Pac-12 title game, uh, back-to-back 10-win seasons. And unlike everybody else who's kind of just like, oh, well, I'm in a major conference, they're the Pac-2. Like, it's him, Oregon State, Jake Dickert, and Washington State. They're trying to figure stuff out. Like, that is a great storyline that is great for when you're trying to tell the tale, but I think that that's a name that I'll watch for as well just because of the situation. Uh, one last name I'll throw out there just for, you know, fun and gigs. Link, if it's not an option. However, I would not be shocked if the was on Glenn Schumann, the defense coordinator at Georgia.
1: Cole, uh, real quick, and we definitely want to hold you for a second segment. Uh, your thoughts on Zach Barnett getting fired from Mississippi State uh, and not even finishing year one on the job.
6: Zach Arnett was in a lose-lose situation from the jump. Uh, they really kept him around because of, they realized that it was morally correct because of his relationship with Mike Leach. Uh, it's a fresh start for him. It's a fresh start for the university. And if I have one phone call to make, I'm going right up the road to Troy and I'm bringing in John Summerall. I think that, that is the perfect fit for what you need to start. Self.
3: Good
4: stuff from Cole Thompson. And it will continue on the other side of this break if you listen to a Big Noon
5: Sports.
1: The best person is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at
3: thebamabroker.com. More Big Noon Sports coming up.
4: It is Big Noon Sports. Our guest is Cole Thompson. Cole, uh, tell everybody as we lead into the answer to this question where people can read and listen to you. And then just go ahead and follow up with this. Can Alabama play with anybody in the nation?
6: Yes, if you want to give me a follow on Twitter, uh, I am a proud Alabama graduate. So all of you out there, roll tide. uh, Shameless plug. At Mr. Cole Thompson, you want to follow my work on YouTube where I talk exclusively college football and only college football, it's at Mr. Cole Thompson. So the exact same as my Twitter handle. I just came out with a video talking about this subject roughly about 24 hours ago. Uh, You can read my work at FanNation.com and you can always listen to my radio show just saying it, on the Sports Map Radio Network, we do uh, live streams on YouTube, of course, but also you can download the Sports map Radio app, series in Your Pocket, uh, or you can listen on Podcast Forum, wherever you get the podcast listening systems. Now, Alabama. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, they can. Uh, they really can, guys. And here's the reason why. Because Lane Kiffin, I mean, not Lane Kiffin, my apologies, but maybe Lane Kiffin at the same time, but that's a question for another day. Nick Saban is a crocodile. And what I mean by that is, do you realize that crocodiles have been on this earth as long as the dinosaurs, yet somehow they were able to adapt and survive and find a way to still be on this planet in 2023? That's Nick Saban, basically. The man just does not know how to quit and go extinct. And he's always willing to make changes, which is one of the biggest blessings To a university like Alabama, even when there are switches to his offense or defense or he has to hire or fire a new coordinator, the mission is still the same. But the thing that really stands out is after the South Florida game, when you go back and you watch how Jalen Molo took over this offense, it wasn't just his confidence knowing that he was the best quarterback in the room. It was Tommy Reese and it was Nick Saban. Sitting down and saying, we have four at us as our quarterback. We need six points nearly every drive. Let's stop trying to play him like we would a Jalen Hurts or a Tua Tagovailoa or a Matt Jones. Let's play Milro style football and the rest will see fit. And slowly but surely, as the confidence continued to rise from the ashes that was that Texas dismay of a loss, so did the personal play. You watch as now they utilize his legs and they have more quarterback run design. You watch as they're allowing him to extend plays outside the pocket, but also sit back, wait for a receiver to get open downfield, and instead of doing dink and dunks, he's finding receivers seventeen, eighteen, twenty-two yards, and they are connecting. Thus, building chemistry. and Arnold right now might be the most underappreciated defensive back in the country. Uh, after that Texas game, I was a little concerned. But then you see the way that he has kind of turned the corner. He may actually be Alabama's, quote-unquote, best corner because of the way that he's been able to blanket and mitigate receivers. And really outside of that second quarter against LSU, this defense has kept everything in front of them, which I think is a major advantage towards any team, I mean, to their stock. That's a big testament to Kevin Steele. I think that when Kevin Steele was named the head, I mean, the defense coordinator, it didn't really settle well with fans, but this was a guy who had been around the block for over four decades in coaching, and he understood what team is about. Not great players on a team, but team mentality. And that's why you see Dallas Turner playing at an elite level and Chris Braswell and Kool-Aid McKinstry, and Caleb Downs as a freshman. This is an offense that right now has hitched its wagon to whatever Jalen Miller wants. In his last two games, he has 10 touchdowns against two interceptions, He's completing over 71% of his throws, not to mention, once again, this defense ranks top 10 against the run. It ranks top 10, uh, top 15 in scoring. It's one of the best on throw down, getting off the field. They're legit. They are playing exceptionally up to their standard, and that's the crazy part is it still might not even be up to Nick's standard. But if they continue on this pathway, there is a legit shot that not only do they run Georgia out of the building, but they run their way all the way to Houston to go see another national title.
1: Wow, that's saying something. Running Georgia out of the building based on how Georgia played last week. A lot of people think it's sort of Georgia and everybody else. But all right, let's stay on Alabama. Uh, Cole, you spent you, you played the game. You spend a lot of time watching tape, uh, especially you know you do such a great job uh, pre-draft of analyzing where players could go, their strengths, their weaknesses. So two questions: One, what have you seen from the evolution just in the past like six, seven, eight weeks of left tackle Caden Proctor at Alabama? And two, this is the ultimate cart before horse question: Is Jalen Milrow going to play quarterback in the NFL?
6: Let's go with the second part first and work our way backwards. I think that when the main thing is, with Jalen Milrow, he still has another year to figure things out, which is a huge blessing for him because. There are some things that NFL scouts salivate over, the pocket awareness to be able to evade a sack, the ability to run a option formation, and the ability to win in the open field based off of pure strength. But there are some things that scouts are going to want to see, just like they did with Jalen Hurts when he transferred from Alabama to Oklahoma, but in a little different variety. With Milrow, it's going to be building that harmonious connection across the middle of the field on those short to intermediate passes, not just trying to go to a Kobe pretense or a Jermaine Burton or an Amari Nick Black. They want to be able to see probably where he wins with timing and anticipation and those little tidbits that truly stand out that make a quarterback like C.J. Stroud almost irreplaceable, a quarterback like Josh Allen a game maker in the open field. Uh, those are things that he's going to have to work on. He could. I think that he will at least get a shot. They may end up switching him at some point. Logan Thomas began his career after he left Virginia Tech and then switched to tight end within three years. It could be that situation, but right now there's no reason to say he can't play quarterback. Hayden practice footwork has gotten a lot better. I think that's the main thing I take away. You're watching him not lunge anymore. He's done a great job of having to lower frame that allows him to put, plant his foot into the ground and then basically take the offensive and the defensive lineman toward the outside gap, thus opening up not only a running lane but also a passing lane for Jalen Milrow. I think he's allowed three pressures in his last four games. One sack, uh, One one sack, if I'm not mistaken, since the Texas A&M game. So as you've watched him, hand placement's gotten better, footwork has gotten better, I think more than anything, his center of gravity is doing a lot of the heavy lifting because if you're not watching him lean too much one way or another. He's not back on his heels, which is something that a lot of young offensive linemen do. Or he's not lunging towards getting the defensive linemen, which allows them to get hands, pull down, and work up field. thus basically taking the tackle out of the play. And and you see this with NFL offensive linemen all the time. So it's not that he's 18, it's that he's going up against more top tier competition uh proctor i think is going to be a very solid offensive lineman for the foreseeable future uh even if there were some growing pains and i think that's a huge testament to where this offensive line has gone from because at the beginning of the year they as much as much as milro was struggling to build a connection with receivers he also was struggling to have that time and temperament to stay in the pocket and watch plays unravel where he doesn't have that now. Now you're seeing him and the offensive line be one sound mindset and body.
4: Goal. One more we'll let you go. Jim Arbaugh suspended for the game this past Saturday. He came on today and said that uh Michigan was America's team. Rather interesting quote. Is this it? Will they just take the suspension throughout the rest of the year or are we gonna be continuing to hear about Michigan? and signal-stealing gate or whatever it is. SSS, I think uh, Lars termed it as uh, signal-stealing scandal. What's going on in Michigan?
6: So the triple S is still going to be alive and well for the next couple of weeks. There you go, Lars, I coined it for you. Better, even quicker. But anyways, the thing that we have to look at with Harbaugh and the American Team Grill, I'll end with you on a different note, but with Harbaugh, the problem isn't that got caught uh he got caught with this program stealing size you you know if you watch all 22 and you're able to catch something on the side track you you probably can utilize that to your advantage it's the problem of him once again going out of his way and trying to pull the wool over the ncaa's eyes and really the fans eyes by saying right now oh i didn't know anything about it and and yes i do believe bill pokey the charlotte head coach when he comes and says Yes, Harbaugh is a busy man. Yes, Harbaugh understands that there is a lot of things going on outside of his realm. And most of the time, he's waiting for things to unravel as information is quickly unfolding. But you can't have a recruiting analyst dressed up for Halloween against Central Michigan and find a way to say, oh, I had no idea about that. When they played on a Friday night, it was right up the road. So I don't really buy that one. they're going to fight this, uh, according to Santa Ono, who has come out with a statement. They are dismayed at the decision made by Tony Petiti to react to the news as quickly as possible. But what I will say is that even at this point, the way that this team is played and the way the team played against a very solid Penn State defensive front led by Manny Diaz, do you really need Jim Harbaugh at this point? Sharon Moore has been a coach in waiting for a while. There's rumors that he has already been linked to Michigan State, and several other openings across the country. Uh, there's also been the factor of this is a game where they went away from the passing attack. Like, J.J. McCarthy, a lot of people are going to say is overrated. No, they just didn't need to dial up their bag of tricks and have them throw with a million times. This was basically a let's play Harbaugh football in memory of Jim Harbaugh and pound it into oblivion until we get this defensive line tired, and then, boom, 30-yard touchdown run, by Donovan Edwards, and boom, 25-yard touchdown run by Blake Cora. And that's really where you are with this team. They're going to be fine with or without Harbaugh. He will be back if they make it to the playoffs, and there is a very good shot, that if they play the way that they did against Ohio State and Maryland to close out the year, they will be in the playoffs. But as for America's team, gentlemen, I think we all can agree who America's team is. It is the James Madison Dukes because that university is still undefeated. They have played exceptional football, and the NCAA is bending them over a barrel and not allowing them to be bowl eligible. I speak for all of college football lore when I say the Dukes deserve bowl eligibility. How dare we keep them out of the conversation? Kirk Stingetti's done a phenomenal job. Kirk Stingetti, a former Nick Saban disciple, I might add in, that is America's team. Get the Dukes Bowl eligible and that's
1: how we end the cycle. Well, hold on. I got one more question for you. Oh, I, love, God. I love I love Triple S, you know, the student always trying to uh, outdo the teacher, but the teacher is always proud of the student when he does. So well done. Mm. Uh okay, you covered the Houston Texans. I was watching the Bengals Texans game on on uh, Sunday yesterday. Yeah, sorry about that uh, buddy. With with a buddy of mine and uh uh, he looked at me about uh, in the third quarter and said, I'd take C.J. Stroud over Joe Burrow. I about dropped my adult beverage. Uh, your thoughts on C.J. Stroud?
6: He's special. I-, I mean, I don't think there's any denying that. I think it's the hype of him being the quarterback to take moving forward is a little far-fetched. So I understand why you decide to drop your adult beverage or John Daly or whatever we call these drinks today. I'm not sure what you partake in or peruse with on your Sundays. Uh, but what I will say is his anticipation is at a veteran level. His footwork is mechanically about as swift as you could ever ask for. He's doing this with wide receivers that were afterthoughts or date to selection. So it's not like he has a Jamar Chase at his disposal or anyone near that level of talent. And the ability for him to read and react against the defensive line, knowing what his offense provides for him, is another staple. I do not believe he is a top five quarterback in the NFL this year. I do not believe that he's even a top ten quarterback at the end of the year. But he is a top five consideration for MVP. He is the offensive receiver here. And if he continues this up next season, there is an argument that he would take him over Joe Burrow and almost every quarterback decides that spot.
4: Go. Home. Thank you. Appreciate your time, and you're right exactly right about James Madison. Cool, man. I
6: appreciate you, guys.
4: Thanks, brother. We'll be back and wrap up this Monday edition of Big News Sports.
0: Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Very pleasant afternoon, partly to mostly sunny, the high at 70. Tonight, increasingly cloudy, below 49. Mostly cloudy tomorrow, the better chance of rain will be south of here, the high 65. Wednesday, cloudy and cool periods of rain, the high 59. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 67 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
3: This is the Big Noon Sports Network.
4: Big Noon Sports. Thanks for joining us on this Monday afternoon. Man, it's pretty. Next weekend, next Saturday, I should say, Alabama takes on UTC at 11 o'clock. They have announced the uh, Alabama-Auburn kickoff time. That will be at 2.30. That's a big deal. This is becoming more and more a big deal, and now it's because Brian Kelly won't let it go. Um, He has said publicly that Dallas Turner tried to take out Jaden Daniels with that... um, Rough in the passer hit that he had that the sec countered by saying after they looked at the video it indeed was not targeting um, i've always liked and respected brian kelly and i still do but i think he is way out of bounds on making this statement and i don't know why who it benefits
1: yeah um you know he was frustrated because one of his players uh, was uh determined uh to uh have have targeted a guy and was taken out of the game and the dallas turner hit um that he put on daniels and knocked him out uh for a play but he returned to action um but there was a lot of controversy on social media but then if you really look at it dallas turner did not lead with the crown of his helmet nor did he launch himself into Daniels. Uh, it was a it was a clean play, and um, you know Kelly just uh, he's upset about it, uh, and he and it's weird that he brought it up after LSU beat Florida, right? And yeah, I get it. One of his defensive players got ejected for targeting. And, uh, you know, he told the, uh, he told, uh, reporters that the hit was clean and he kept using the word tragic that he got ejected. Okay. This is one of my pet peeves, big time pet peeves as a writer. You know what's tragic? Nine eleven was tragic. Yeah. When a young person passes away, that's tragic. A guy getting kicked out of a football game, that's not, not tragic. Crazy. I agree.
4: 155 million percent. I hate it when coaches do that. Or And I'm not just singling out
1: coaches. Other walks of life do it as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, Dallas Turner get, did get flagged for a 15-yard personal foul. So it wasn't like Alabama didn't get penalized. Um, uh, and you, you go back to 2022 uh, against Tennessee. Bryce Young suffered a far worse hit. And the officials let the play stand and nothing was called. And, um you know, so I I don't know. This is just going to add more fuel to next year's LSU Alabama game because you know it will be brought up because Brian Kelly can't let it go. He seems to think that uh, if you use sort of deductive uh, logic here, that that hit by Dallas Turner changed the entire course of the game. And if it hadn't happened, maybe LSU would have won. Yeah, but then
4: after the game, he came forward and said Alabama beat him, and, and and I liked that about him. But you can certainly tell one thing, it's bothering the hell out <laughs> yeah, of him. Yeah, he has not let
1: that go. He, <laughs> he brings
4: it up after a win against one of their biggest rivals, and that's Florida. And then he goes on and on about it. And uh, then he uses improper terminology to describe it. So... I guess he's back to dancing with the, fight, with the tight end. I don't know. All right. <laughs> um, our thanks to Jeff Spiegel from ABC 3340 and Cole Thompson for joining us on the show. Mike Rodak will be on from Bama 24-7 tomorrow. And Lars, we'll say good afternoon. And then uh, also uh, to you as well, Noel. you folks have a wonderful day.
5: Have a good one,
4: everybody.